Good morning for those of us who are here physically and those of us who are joining us online. Welcome to GCAF and welcome to the, the, the series that we, have, we are in right now in the book of Hebrews called Anchored in Christ. Now, uh, before we get into our text for this morning, allow me to, if you're just joining us today, allow me to uh, review for us what we have tackled so far. So, Remember that the, the audience, no, the, the original audience that Hebrews was written for was for a group of Christians that were going through this very, very difficult times. An increasing, increasing danger, dangerous times wherein them being Christians would mean either they would get arrested, their source of livelihood will get affected, or the, the, their own family, their own people would really uh, mistreat them, cut them off, and they will not be able to participate in their fellowship anymore. So because of that situation where it was increasingly difficult, they're, they're undergoing uh, increasing, increasing uh, amount of danger and difficulties, many, many of them are getting discouraged. Right now, this group of Christians are at a crisis of faith. Should we continue? Because a lot of our friends before went back to their old ways, went back to their old beliefs, and they seem to live life better now. And, and right now, as we're going through this, they're thinking, Can I, will, will I continue? Will this be the last time in attending or not? And so this was a written sermon for them by a pastor that loved them and knew them very well and knew their situation firsthand. And he sends them these letters because he couldn't no longer go to them personally. And this sermon was now read through these congregations in the weeks that would follow. So we titled this series to be anchored in Christ in a very, very timely manner for today as well. And, and it started, the sermon started with such a wonderful view of who God is. Remember, God has been speaking to the prophets. God has been uh, speaking. God, we have a God who speaks. And His final revelation right now is in His Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is way better than angels, way better than prophets. He could be trusted. And so, last two Sundays ago, we now are in chapter 2. And this is our second month in this wonderful book. And the, sec the two weeks ago, uh, Jonathan talked about this, that in Christ we have this great salvation that we should not neglect, right? A and we should be listened. Otherwise, there would be this slow drifting away. And last week, Jay told us about this wonderful grace of God, that His gracious calling to undeserving sinners undeserving people who had no business in being called in the first place by this wonderful, loving, gracious God. Jay reminds us that if we forget the grace of God, we might have this self-entitlement na, na mentality. Well, why am I going through this difficult time? Why? Why? I deserve this. I deserve that. And, and, and so we have a glorious calling because we were who are undeserving were called by this gracious God. And now we're finally at the last portion of this 
wonderful message of how Christ is far superior to angels, he's far superior to prophets, and that he is worthy to be listened to. We are now in verses 10 to 18 of chapter 2, and I'll read for us. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Therefore, since the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Let's pray. Lord, help us as we study and hear and listen, Lord, to your word. Take away anything that would distract us, anything, Lord, that, that would hinder us, Lord, and allow us, Lord, to focus, really to pay attention, to not neglect this gracious, wonderful salvation that we have in you and who you are, that you are able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to call this message, Jesus is our able help. Now, as I was pondering on this message earlier this week, I, I asked myself the question, how does the world try to scare us? You know, what is the world, how has the world try, been trying to scare uh, me or you and me? And as I was thinking, you know, my, my thoughts went to, the, the how even unbelieving people think, what unbelieving people think is the worst way that they could throw at you so that you would be scared. And one of the, the things that I, th I thought about was, okay, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm looking at horror movies and, and, and what is there that, what is the worst thing that they've come up with that, is, that makes people afraid, that tries to scare people. And it, always, it will always boil down to this. The worst thing that they could come out, up with is this. 
that in the moments that they will try to scare you, it will always have something to do with death, with someone dying. So for the world to, to, to die in this life is the, one of the worst things that they could come up with to try to scare you. And in fact, it really, really, a lot, everybody is scared of death because that we, we don't know what's going to happen. There's this great fear of the unknown. Some have tried to, in their fear of death, tried to run away or dismiss it saying, well, after I die, nothing's going to happen. It's just all going to be a big black thing, right? Nothing, right? Meaning, I'm not going to be scared of death because there's nothing after. Right? There, there's nothing. I, we will just all become nothing. Not, there's a big nothingness. And so it's either because of this fear of death that you try to make it so scare or scary or you try to dismiss it. Now, another thing that I, would, I was thinking about and how the world tries to scare us is not only is it about death, but it's about pain and suffering. You see, what if... The, the, the thing that you, the, the world is trying to tell you is be afraid because what if in this life, all you have to live for is pain and you're going to be suffering because of it? What kind of life is that, right? So the world tries to scare you by saying from pain, from suffering, nothing good will come out of it. Death is the end. It's a cut off from your loved ones. You're going to miss out. And the third thing that I've thought about that would scare the world is this, failure. You see, if the world tells you you're a failure in life, that's, that's scary for a lot of people. A lot of people give up because they're, they're being, they've been looked at as a failure. They, they haven't succeeded. They haven't done anything according to the, the world's standards as, as success. And so, yes, even many Christians have given up because they, the people in the world tell them, well, you've done nothing, you've accomplished nothing in this life compared to those guys, see? And, and, and that's it, right? Because the world tries to scare you. The world tries to, to make you afraid of mainly those three things. Death, pain and suffering, and failing in life. And that's the situation right now of this, the people that, that originally heard this. The people that originally heard this were in a situation where death was a threat to them. They were threatened with death. Us being Christians, us gathering here could mean our death. Us being Christians, us being, being, being meeting here in this place could mean, it would mean that I would lose my freedom. I'd be called a failure in life. I would go through pain and difficulty and suffering. And a lot of them are in crisis. Who do we turn to for help? We're looking at our other people. We're looking at our neighbors. They're going to their temples and, and they're succeeding in life. Oh, this one, his life and is no longer in pain and suffering because he's asking for help in a different God. Maybe in a different belief. They're going to angels. They're going to prophets. Asking advice from this man or looking at other things that could help rescue them from their pain. And can you imagine listening to this sermon and listening to this great God who's speaking and mainly through His Son. 
Can you imagine in verse 15, the, 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 the preacher tells us that actually those who are subject, those who through the fear of death are now in subject to slavery. Do you know that? Do you know that actually having this, the fear of death subjects us to slavery? You see, the, 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 the idea of being a, a slave, enslaved by someone, is that you are entrapped. You are trapped in a situation where you're, you have no control. You have no way out. And because of the situation of men, right? What happened? Because of the sin of one man, death entered into the world. It's a situation wherein we all are captives. We have no choice in this matter. All of us are appointed to die. All of us are going to die because of sin. So our greatest enemy is not just Satan. We have sin and we have death as our enemies. And yes, the world has partly got it right. We should be afraid of death. But it's not physical death that is the worst thing that can happen to us. It's not physical death that we should be afraid of. It is the one who has the power of death. It is the power of death. And the one that has it right now is the devil. What is this power of death? Well, remember in, in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. The power of death is that it will not only kill your body, not only is our body dying right now, every day our body is decaying and we will come to a point that we die. But right now we are all, we are all have been spiritually dead. Christ raised you to life. But for all those who are not yet in Christ, they are spiritually dead. And so for the wages of sin is death. And now... Revelation 20.14 tells us about this power of death and what would happen if we are not saved from it. If we're still enslaved by sin and we're still enslaved by this power of death, we will face the second death. Physical death is nothing in comparison to this second death, which is you are going to be living forever. So I'm sorry for those who think that after death, there's, not going to be there's nothing going to happen to you. The Bible is so clear. The Word of God tells us that there is going to be life after death. And it is going to be a life forevermore. A life never ending. And this is what all of us should be afraid of. Because this second death, wherein this is going to be forever. You, if we are not written in the book of life. We ourselves will be thrown into the lake of fire. Where it's ironic, right? In life, we are we, a, a lot of people or everyone spends all their life escaping from pain and suffering. I don't want pain and suffering. But in this second death, you're going to be facing pain and suffering nonstop forever. And if that doesn't terrify you and go and make you run towards the one that can the only one that can save you, then Satan has won over you. Satan has blinded you to make you feel nothing, to make you think that you can dismiss this word of the, the, the living God. And this second death, my dear friends, is what is 
really, really the problem. And that's why God's message is so good news. And if we're, we're, we're sitting there with those brothers and sisters thousands of years ago who was reading this for the first time, was hearing this for the first time, here comes the words, we have this Jesus who is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And I'm thinking, yes, it's including everything, every temptation that we're going to go through in life. But in this particular case, yes, the, the, their context as well is fits that they're facing this crisis of faith. They're being tempted to listen to others. They're, they're tempted to give up. And Jesus is saying, even in that situation, Jesus is able to help you. Jesus is able to come to your help. Are you troubled in life? Have you been tempted in life? Here's the great news for you. Jesus is able to help you in those times. He is able. And there's three reasons why. In this, in this very, very short portion of ours, there's three reasons why He is our able help. And the first one is this. Because Jesus suffered and died to bring many sons to glory. Now remember, the world tries to scare you by saying pain and suffering, no good comes out of it. But here you have a Savior, here you have God who suffered and died. And there was great good, there was a great plan, part of the great plan, the master plan of God to save us, His salvation plan. That Jesus, it was fitting. Here, you see, in verse 210, those where we start, it was fitting for Him. And it was fitting for this and he makes sure he remember who, who this God is, who this Him is. He says, from whom all things and through whom all things are made. It was fitting for this creator of ours. It was fitting for this Lord of ours. His God. It was fitting for Him. What did He do? Yes, He is. If He is the creator, if He is God and He's the source of all things, all life, all goodness, then it's fitting that He is able to help Yes, but here he says, in bringing many sons to glory, in his, this wonderful creator and God to bring many sons to glory, what did he go through? It was fitting for him to perfect the author of our salvation through suffering. You could say it this way, reason why Jesus came to this world is to suffer and die. Was to suffer and die for sinners like you and me. So that we might be brought as sons to glory. And think about it. These new Christians and us right now, we're thinking, I've been praying, I've been worshiping God, I've been faithful to God. Why am I going through the sufferings? Why, I have, why do I, week after week, and that's, that's really the, the, I don't know, you really see the, 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 this broken world and the sin, of, the devastating effect of sin, is that week after week, when we say, how can we pray for you? How can I pray for you, brother? How can I pray for you, sister? And there will always be a problem. There will always be a, a source of pain. There will always be a source of trouble. There will always be threats. And we see that in yet, that it was fitting for our God to perfect the author of our salvation through suffering. 
And take you back last week in, in verse 9 that uh, Jay told us that, remember this is a Jesus that was crowned with glory and honor that went through suffering. Remember that this is Jesus that was gracious, that is the God of grace that was calling us undeserving sinners. He shows us by the grace of God that He tasted death for us so that we may live. Remember this Jesus that He is made for a little while lower than angels because of the suffering and death. Remember, remember our God for a little while. And that would really, you know, make us, that's a comfort for me. That's a personal comfort for me. I love that. I love that in this life, it's called a little while. I love that in this life, I could actually have bad body pains. I have a broke, I have a problem, problematic back. Uh, I have a, and, and every day it's, I have to sleep in a right position. Otherwise, I'm going to wake up in pain. And th this is going to be stay with me for the rest of my life. I love that even in those in, in, in my little pain and suffering, it's called for a little while. Even if it's 20 years, even if it's 40 years, God calls it a little while. Why? Because in comparison to living forever, in glory, everything is little. You see, in, 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 in verse 5, an advanced sneak peek for you guys, is that he tells, he tells us, what does this perfect, as having been made perfect mean? What is this? Our author of salvation being made perfect mean. And it means there in, in Hebrews 5, although he was a son, he was the son of God. He is God. He is sinless. He is perfect. He learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And I want to make that clear. Jesus did not learn. It does not mean that Jesus had to learn to obey God because he's perfect. He's sinless. He has perfect obedience already. It means that his perfect obedience goes through right now the trial and suffering and the, the, the actual suffering. So perfect, sinless, going through this suffering, this is a way of saying that having now been made perfect, he passes the test. He's not all talk. It's not, it's, oh, I know Jesus is, he is, is good. Oh, I know he is sinless. He went through everything you and I go through in life. From a baby to an adult, Jesus go, gets all of that. Bad treatment, attacks, betrayals, temptations after temptations. Mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, everything. And we see this perfect God, this perfect author of salvation, fully man, fully God, go through all of that. And that's what it means. He was, we could say, tested and proven. It's not just all, you know, a concept here. He identified with us. He became flesh. And because of that, because of him now he is now the he, we can call him author of our salvation and he became to all those who would obey him the source of eternal salvation or eternal life and so this god this savior who became human it was fitting that he would suffer and die to bring many sons to glory 
So his suffering and death was part of a, a good God who allowed suffering and death to happen to his son. Why? So that many sons will be brought to glory. What happens to the sons brought to glory? Hebrews 2.11 tells us, those then who believe in the Son will be brought to glory by being sanctified. And sanctified means you're cleansed now of all right and righteousness. You're now declared righteous and clean and holy. And you're set apart now. And for all, right now we see that you will now be called a brother of Jesus. So we see that what this great, great view of what, ha what the suffering and death accomplished for these sons of faith, daughters of faith. And, and they were brought to glory. And what this glory means, now we see that this is the God who is able, not only to, who has suffered and died for you to bring you to glory, not talking about just eternal life there in the future, in the moment of our death here on earth, but we have a God who is able to help because He modeled in this life, He modeled for our lives the perfect faith in God. We have Jesus as our model. We have a helper who not only tells us what to do, don't do this, do this, right? We have a, we have a teacher who does, 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 just, just doesn't teach us about how wonderful God is. He shows it to us personally. He models for us. That's why He is an able help. And so, right now, you have a Hebrews 2.12. I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And you're noting this. Probably you're noticing this. It's all capitals. Huh? Well, it's good reason. It's a direct quotation from an Old Testament scripture. And Hebrews 12, 13 is a straight, straight, just quotations from the Old Testament. Because, again, Hebrews is called Hebrews because it's written mainly for uh, Christians that had a rich background on uh, being on Israel, right? Jewish Christianity. And so what happened here is that actually it is a quotation from Psalm 22, verse 22. And probably this would be a very, very uh, familiar text for you because this is the, the, the chapter wherein Jesus quoted on the cross. On his last moments on the cross, he shouted, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see that in Psalm 22. And so if you were the, 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 the listener of this sermon, and, and right away, you, your mind would be taken to Psalm 22. Oh, I, I, I know this. This is in Psalm 22. This is, what the, 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 this is talking about the Messiah. This is talking about the Messiah when he's saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. But I'm also taken to the understanding that in the context of this, the Messiah was speaking not of, you know, problem-free life. The Messiah was not saying this in, you know, uh, with having gone through nothing, no pain. The Messiah was saying this 
in the midst of the most severe trial, pain, and suffering. No one suffered like Jesus Christ suffered. And he said this, my God, my God, this is the context here. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now later on, he will say, I'll proclaim your name. So from something that was really painful that he's going through, he's gonna shout praise and now share blessings to you and me. That's gonna be a pattern. That's gonna be a pattern in your life. You're gonna go through pain and suffering. And then later on, when things become clearer, when things become you see the hand of God actually working and you see the results of it, you will shout in praise. But I'm saying to you, it's not only after, even during. Jesus said this during His pain and suffering. Jesus said this during His most severe, painful moments of His life. And He said this. Remember, I take you in, uh, in verse 4 and 5. In your Father's in you, our Father trusted and were delivered. We're not disappointed. And I'm going to tell, I'm going to point it out. When the psalmist wrote this, he's, he himself is going through pain and suffering. He's, he's also, in a way, prophesying about the Messiah. But you remember, what, what the psalmist is doing here is this. He's looking back and he's looking at Moses He's looking at Abraham and he's looking at everyone that has gone before him and he's saying, Lord, it feels like, you know, you, you've abandoned me. It seems like it because everything is dark, painful, and, and really, really bad right now. And I look back, Lord, and I see that my fathers who trusted you and prayed to you, asking for deliverance, they were delivered. They were saved. You answered their prayers. And here's the comparison of the, or the contrast. He says, but me in my life is the opposite. I've been praying. I've been faithful to you, Lord, just like my father's. But it seems like you haven't been answering my prayers because everything that has been, that's bad has been happening to me. I've been despised by people. I've, I'm a worm. I'm worthless right now. I, I've been reproached. I'm attacked. See, it's different. God doesn't, God operates in our lives in different times, in different ways. And some of us might be asking the question, why, why only now have I been born in this time of COVID? I can't go out. My children and my, my wife was and when before no, talk me. And, and my wife was lamenting this now. Oh, how I wish Gwyn would have experienced the park. Oh, how I wish uh, no, and she's only three years old. What if she was, you know, born a little bit uh, earlier, or maybe after when everything is back to normal and, and you could really say no why am i what am i living in this time no i wish i was in those times where in their fathers when you, they prayed they were delivered oh i wish i was living in the time of 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 noah of of maybe not for noah because <laughs> only a few got on the boat uh, maybe in the time of abraham <laughs> or uh the kings that were good you know, I didn't want to live during the times that things were bad. And so th those would be the, 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 the probably one of the things that would, you know, make us question, make us really doubt. Is God good? Is God hearing my prayers? I'm living in a difficult time. And yet, we see here that 
in Psalm 22, it says, uh, continuing on Psalm 22, after he's declared, the psalmist now says, You who fear the Lord, praise Him. He's asking people, Praise God with me. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify Him and stand in awe of Him. All you descendants of, J of Israel. And what's the reason why this guy is leaping for joy even during his most difficult time? Because he's concluded this. God has not despised me. God has not turned His back from me. God, even in my affliction, it doesn't mean that God is, you know, uh, uh, displeased with me, meaning I lost favor with God. That's the assurance right now. If you're a child of God, if maybe you were that original Jewish Christian, one of the things that really would come to their mind is this. If I'm suffering, then that means I either I've really sinned and I've done something to displease God and I've lost His favor. You know, I've, that's why I'm being punished. Remember, remember, that Jesus Christ on the cross drank every last drop of God's wrath on your life. God's wrath is already satisfied in you. There is no more wrath in you. It is all grace and love left. And what happens is this. The psalmist is celebrating. He's saying, actually, I'm going through difficult times, but it doesn't mean God has turned His face from me. It doesn't mean, and He's now telling you, you have a God. It doesn't mean that He's hidden His face from you. It means that He still hears you. Right now, even though you feel He's far and distant, right now, even though you feel your prayers have not been heard, the assurance of anybody going through difficult times is that you are heard. By a God who is able to help you. God hears you. God is hearing you and He's able to aid you. Now in verse 13, there's actually two separate uh, uh, quotations here. And, but it's the same chapter of Isaiah. Different book now. Different prophet now. Okay, In verse 12, it was in Psalm 22. But here in verse 13... You, we might not catch the grift, no, because or the, the shift, because we're living in different time. But for them, because they're so familiar with the with the scriptures, they know that from Psalm 22, he now quotes Isaiah chapter eight. In verse 13, he says, "And again, I will put my trust in Him." And it's a quotation from Isaiah 8:17 by by the prophet Isaiah saying, "I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding His face." from the house of Jacob, I will put my trust in him. And you see the connection there in this first part because Psalm 22 was talking about someone who is righteous. Someone who is the righteous, okay? And we are all declared righteous only by Jesus Christ. And so you could be righteous, you could be a believer, you could be a Christian, and yet be a sufferer. And the connection of Psalm 22 is that there is someone who is righteous, who is suffering, going through difficult times, having pain, sorrow, death. And 8.17 is the same. And now, he says, and another emphasis, and again, 
He says, Not only will I put my trust in Him, just like that righteous sufferer in Psalm 22, and just like this guy Isaiah is saying, I will put my trust in Him. Again, he says, Here am I, and the children of God has given me. Again, that's in Psalm, uh, that's in Isaiah. That's in the context of Isaiah's life. Isaiah is a prophet in his life and his children. You see, in his lifetime, Isaiah was called to be a prophet and to preach to a people that would never listen and never change. Hello? Failure? According to the world? What if you, you are a pastor and there's only 10 people all throughout your ministry that listened and attended in your church gatherings? And for all your life of trying to share the gospel, you're met with rejection after rejection after rejection. The world tells you, you are a failure. Look at those big, big, uh, effective leaders out there. What if you are a, a professional? You're, you're someone who works for a living. And you're met with failure after failure. Everyone tells you you're no good. Everyone tells you you haven't done anything in this life. And they tell you, you've accomplished nothing. Those are insignificant things that you're doing. And that would now become an alien thing for us, right? Because we would now say, God called me for success. If I am in God, then I should experience the abundant life of, of having problem-free, uh, sick-free, and, and, and no problem with money and wealth because this would be the blessed life I have in Christ. It would be an alien concept. Why? Because for many years, many years, I, I tell you, even in GCAP, it has happened. It has been preaching this in this, in this pulpit a lie that's, that told you that this, this lie that you, you would be rich in Christ, that you would always be healthy in Christ, that you were meant for this great, great grandeurs and, and, and things because that's what God does. But if you know your God, even during those times, you would say, no, that's not my God. I know in Isaiah, I know in Psalm 22. Be careful who we listen to, Remember? Listen, don't listen to prophets and angels. Don't listen to the word. Listen to the son, the final revelation. And so we see here that Isaiah was actually called for a life of failure. And the one who called him was God. And yet, it's not failure in the eyes of God. It's only failure in the eyes of other men. And that's why we don't be afraid of that. And so in his lifetime, Isaiah was called to preach and they would not listen and they would never change. And he says here, yet I will put my trust in him. That's the context of this guy. He's broken hearted every day. And yet he's saying, I'm not going to give up. I'll continue to put my faith and trust in the Lord. And again, he says, here am I. That's me. Isaiah's name is this. Yahweh is my salvation. And he says, and the children of God that he has given me. Who's that? Well, namely his disciples, age 16, it excluded. His spiritual sons and daughters. Meaning, even though it seems helpless, I tell you, 
count your blessings and, and, and you will actually have and realize, oh, oh, I, I can still have so many things to thank God for. There's, even though you, you, it feels like it's failure after failure, you could actually see that you know, it, it may seem like no one is listening to God and turning to God. But the, the assurance and life of God is this, the God who is able to help. He's saying, don't worry, I'm working. I'm working even during the times of great difficulty, failure, and troubles. I'm working. You don't see it, but look, there's remnants, his disciples. And the second remnant is this, his children, his two sons in particular. Isaiah had two sons. And they, they were what? Isaiah tells us they are signs. They are the signs and wonders in Israel. He was called to be a prophet, to display as, an, as the nature of who God is, who He is. And they were looking that if you neglect this God, try as you might, you still have these signs and wonders present in the life. Meaning, maybe the question you're going to ask yourself is this, when you, you feel like nothing good is happening right now in your life, maybe you need to ask yourself, God, where, where are you working right now? God, where, where are you? Show me, show me where you are working right now. Help me see so that I might rejoice and praise as well. But I know, even though I can't see, Lord, I know you're working where I can't see right now. And so, you see, there's really, really no end to how we can praise even during difficult times. But let me go back here. It says, Isaiah, his disciples, and his two sons would be a wonder. It, mean, it, it means this. Isaiah, personally, will be a testament to the goodness of God, his life. Not his circumstance, his life. What he has in God. And what he has with the remnants. Disciples, they will be the signs as well for everyone. That they would see, even though they refuse right now to believe, they would see who is God. Who is the truth? And going back specifically to his two sons, it's so wonderful here. I want to spend a few moments here. Is this Isaiah's children, the two sons? The first one is named Shear Jashub. Remember, they're going to be signs, right? They're going to be a testament to God's goodness and ableness to help. And so, Shear Jashub means a, a remnant shall return to God. The assurance of this is. Isaiah is looking left and right everywhere. Failure, failure. Nothing's, no one's listening to me. And yet in his son, God assures him, there will be a remnant. It's not going to be helpless and hopeless. A remnant will return to God. And the second assurance and sign is this. Maher Salah Hasbaz. I've never met anybody named that because I don't think a, a, a daddy would name that. That's human. Because this is God who named him. Right? So, Maher Salah Hashbaz is the idea of God. And it's called swift is the booty, speedy is the prey. It, anyone, if you want me to bless a baby whose name is Maher Salah Hashbaz, please, please let, let me know or let Jay know. I would be happy <laughs> to meet you. <Yeah. laughs> anyway, uh, Isaiah 8 tells us this about this Maher Salah uh, Hashbaz. In Isaiah 8, it tells us that before this baby is going to be born, God is the one who names him. And remember, 
There's a purpose. God is going to present him as a sign. And it is the first four is God's message is this that through this boy's name, before he becomes three years old, Judah would be saved. Because the boy's name is this speed. Swift is the booty. Speed is the prey. Meaning your enemies are gonna get destroyed. And I'm gonna and it's gonna happen in a timely manner. And, and that means that. There was a specific timeline that God is saying here. Before the boy even knows how to say, Daddy, Mommy. Because that's what it says. Before the boy even gets to say, Daddy, Mommy. Judah would be saved from his enemies. God will deliver you. God will help you. The assurance is there. The sign is there. Contrata palang permado na ana. So what happens? Here we learn a very, very important lesson. There's a consequence of trying to find a different savior. A consequence of trying to solve things on our own ways rather than God's. A consequence of not listening and drifting away then. That will happen to your life. What is that? It happened to King Ahaz, the recipient of this message. You see, starting from chapter 7, and in chapter 8, King Ahaz has been receiving messages after messages from God in several ways and several times. Remember the opening of our Hebrews chapter 1? For God has spoken. And He's spoken in several ways and in several times to His prophets. Right now, the final revelation of God is in His Word, in His Son, through His Son. But that's still what God does. He speaks to you through His Word in several ways and several times. Meaning, God doesn't just show up at the last minute telling you things, assuring you. He has been. He's already given us the final revelation of the Word. And so what happens is this. King Ahaz, even though he has received these messages from the messengers of God in several ways, in the several times, not to be afraid, to trust God, that God would save him from his enemies, that even in his troubles, even if it seems so big and impossible, God would save him. What did Ahaz do? He responded by not listening to God. He didn't listen to the word of God. And he instead puts his faith on the Assyrian king that he thought would save him. And that's really the, 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 the crux of the matter, isn't it? That every time you are in trouble, you go to the person you believe can help you. You go there because you believe you your faith is in that person. That's why you listen to what he says. You do what he tells you because you believe that he is the one to save you. And so what King Ahaz did, he didn't think God could save him. He didn't think God was able to help him. He instead goes to the Assyrian king, this great empire that he said could easily handle two small kingdoms. Two small kings, small-time kings, and he, he asks for help from the Assyrian king instead. Please save me. 
And what happens? He faced terrible consequences because he chose to solve his problems by rejecting God and doing it his own way. What happened? The one he went to for help became his master and destroyer instead. And that's what happens to us. You try looking for a different savior, you try looking for a different way to go to heaven, for a problem, a different way for a problem-free life. That is going to be your master. And he's going to be your destroyer. And that's why when Jesus modeled for us perfect faith, allow me to recount for us quickly, that yes, even though you're righteous in God, meaning you are sanctified in the Lord by faith, by the gracious God who calls us, you can still suffer in this life. And he models for us that yes, in suffering, we can still say, I will continue to put my trust in Him. And He models for us because we have a God who will constantly work for our ultimate good. Even if we can't see it, there are testaments, there are screaming assurances out there that He is, that He is able and he will come to your aid. Thirdly, why Jesus is able or able help is this. Because Jesus alone can save us. What does that mean? Well, in verse 16 tells us, For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. And I, I believe this was wonderfully preached last Sunday by this gracious God who chose to, be, to, to show grace to us. And so by grace, God gives help to all believers. And in verse 17, it continues, Therefore, having said all of that, therefore, He had to be made like His brethren in all things. You have a God, you have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who not only is you know, able to help you. He identifies with you. Can you imagine that? Jesus knows what you feel. How you feel. You're troubled. You're, you're, you're tempted. You're discouraged. Everything He knows. He understands. You have a sympathetic Savior. It's not somebody in a clinical, professional, this is really a personal God here. A personal Savior here. He knows exactly, because he went through the same thing, he knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly how to help you. It happens so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest pertaining to God. By his faithfulness and mercy, he gave his son as a sacrifice so that his wrath for our sins was satisfied. Now, that, 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 that means to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus' suffering, that's a big word, no propitiation, but it means na satisfy, na fully satisfy. And so remember, the wages of sin is death. 
the suffering and death of Jesus Christ was the propitiation, the one that satisfied the wrath of God, the, 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 the price, the wages of sin for you and me. So that by His faithfulness and mercy now, you have a God who is the only one that could satisfy the wrath that is to come because of our sins. You have a God that is the only one that could rescue you from what, would, is the, what the world should be really terrified about, the second death. And He's paid it in full for anyone who believes. And so, so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. I want to I wanna highlight first that the high priest, the, this Christ of ours who is the high priest, is called Archegos no, in Greek. It's called author. It's also, you can also say author, captain, prince, the pioneer. He is the author of our salvation. He is the captain of our faith. He is the prince of, of everyone. He is the one that has pioneered, has gone before us. And so we have an Archegos who is able to help you. And, and maybe I'd like, I'd like to close with this uh, illustration. Is Just imagine no, that we have a, we're living in a broken world wherein it's doomed to sink. And so the illustration I have is for you is this. that Imagine if we are in this huge boat and all of us are in it, and it's a sinking boat. It's just going to be a matter of time that we're all going to drown to our doom. But we're not left there helpless and doomed. We have this Archegos who went on board with us, knows what the terror and the fear and the, the, the problem we're going through, and he gets this rope. And he ties this rope in the ship. And he does what any, every one of us could not do. He jumps into the cold, icy water where it would mean instant death. And he, he braves the dangers of the, this dark waters of shark infested and all. And a dangerous thing. And he goes across safety. And is able to tie this rope line, this lifeline now to safety. And what happens is this, because of this pioneer, of this Archegos who went ahead before us, we now have a way to life. We now have a way that we could live and not drown in this doomed ship if we stay. And we have this great high priest who is able to help. And He is the only one who can make propitiation for our sins. The only one that could satisfy the wrath of God for our sins. For He, since He Himself was tested in that which He has suffered, He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Jesus is able to help because having suffered and been tempted in the worst ways, He came. He did it. He rescued you and me. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, I pray that like 
our brothers and sisters who heard this sermon for the first time, us who are listening at a different time, us who are experiencing, although in a different way, but still being tempted in every which, it, the same in every way, going through difficulties, going through this horrible threat of being endangered, this great grand sickness, many things beyond our control. And it could all, all easily overwhelm, oh Lord. And yet, we thank you that in your word, you said you are able. I pray, Lord, that you would comfort your people. We have brothers and sisters who are in dire need of uh, healing, in dire need of provisions, in dire need of being able to, to make a living. We have brothers and sisters in, the, in several parts of the world and others as well who are being persecuted, being killed. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would comfort your people. You would strengthen us. That we all would say like Isaiah. We all would say like the psalmist. Yet, I will continue to put my faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen.